The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 5 to the chief musician with flutes, a psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God, for to you I will pray. My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you and I will look up. For you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear of you, I will worship toward your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my face. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is destruction. Their throat is an open tomb. They flatter with their tongue. Pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against you. But let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy, because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor, you will surround him as with a shield. I couldn't help but thinking of one political party about three quarters of the way through that psalm. I'll keep my comments to myself beyond that for right now, and we'll get into Numbers 25, verses 1 through 18. We're going to do the entire chapter today. This is entitled, The Zeal of Phineas. Now, before I actually start reading the sermon text, I got an email from Sonia in Australia. She sent me an email. She wanted to know if I have archived sermons, and if so, to send them to her or let me know how to access them. I do, but when I responded to the email, the email bounced back. And so, Sonia, if you get this, you're going to have to email me with an email address that I can send to, because for some reason it would not accept my reply to you. So there you go. Numbers 25, 1 through 18. Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, Every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. 
And those who died in the plague were 24,000. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel, because he was zealous with my zeal among them, so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Therefore say, Behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. Now the name of the Israelite who was killed, who was killed with the Midianite woman, was Zimri, the son of Salu, a leader of a father's house among the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianite woman who was killed was Kozbi, the daughter of Zur. He was head of the people of a father's house in Midian. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Harass the Midianites and attack them, for they harassed you with their schemes by which they seduced you in the matter of Peor and in the matter of Kozbi, the daughter of a leader of Midian, their sister, who was killed in the day of the plague because of Peor. There are a lot of confusing subjects in Scripture, but one of the most confusing of all comes from the book of James, which, by the way, we are currently going through in our daily verse-by-verse analysis of Scripture. You might learn something if you follow along, so that's a hint for you. In James 2, he speaks about faith versus works and justification in relation to that. It is such a difficult subject to understand that there are still giant differences in theology among scholars concerning his words 2,000 years after they were penned. Paul says in Romans chapter 3, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from deeds of the law. But James says in James 2, You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. That sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? Some say it is and that the scriptures aren't reliable. The Roman Catholics grab onto James's words and they beat the congregants over the head with them in order to justify the unjustifiable. In fact, they say in Canon 10 from the Council of Trent that if anyone saith that by faith alone the impious is justified in such wise as to mean that nothing else is required to cooperate in order to the obtaining the grace of justification and that it is not in any way necessary that he be prepared and disposed by the movement of his own will, let him be anathema. In other words, they mean that a person isn't saved by grace through faith alone. Rather, we need to do stuff in order to be justified before God. However, the reformers came out and said, no, we are saved by grace through faith alone. So how do they handle the words of James? They said, and they still say today, that works stem naturally from saving faith. And they are the fruit of faith. If we don't have works, we probably aren't saved. That begs a lot of questions. First and foremost, just what works are you implying? Regardless of that, though, the Roman Catholic Church came back against that with Canon 24 at the Council of Trent. If anyone saith that the justice received is not preserved and also increased before God through good works, but that the said works are merely the fruits and signs of justification obtained, but not a cause of the increase thereof, let him be anathema. So we have some faulty logic from the reformers, but we also have some heretical teachings from the Roman Catholic Church. Where do we go to get an answer 
to these things. Our text verse comes from Psalm 106. They joined themselves also to Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices made to the dead. Thus they provoked him, meaning God, to anger with their deeds, and the plague broke out among them. Then Phineas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stopped, and that was accounted to him for righteousness to all generations forevermore. It says here that Phineas stood up and intervened. Because of that, it was accounted to him for righteousness. In other words, he was justified before God. Now that sounds a lot like the Roman Catholic position, doesn't it? He did something, and he was reckoned as righteous. Is that what Numbers 25 teaches? If so, should we take Paul's words and just chuck them out of the Bible? Where do we go to get a proper answer to this? It is to the Word of God. Yes, every such answer is to be found in his superior word. And so, let's turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I have a couple of thoughts for you today. The first is a deed done in faith. It's verses 1 through 9. Verse 1, now Israel remained in Acacia Grove. Ve'yeshev Yisrael ba'shitim, and sat Israel in the shitim. The name shitim is first seen here, but the last place that they were noted at was recorded in Numbers 22. There it said this, then the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. This is further defined by Numbers 33. They camped by the Jordan from Bet-Jeshemot as far as the Abel Acacia Grove in the plains of Moab. Israel spread out over this large, grassy area. The name Shittim means acacias. That in turn comes from a word signifying a scourge. This is because of its scourging thorns which cover the tree and are hard and sharp. It is in this place that another event occurs which will be remembered throughout the pages of the Bible, even to the book of Revelation. This is the last stop for Israel before entering into Canaan, and yet it is here that Israel succumbs to great temptation, and they violate the very laws which they had been given to keep them from such things. This is evidenced with the words of verse 1 continuing, and the people. The words, and the people, are general in nature. It doesn't mean all the people, but rather it is referring to Israel as a whole. They're a collective unit, regardless as to the number who actually fell into transgression. Verse 1 continues, began to commit harlotry. The word here has a twofold meaning. First, it signifies that the people engaged in actual physical fornication. However, the word also signifies harlotry against God. When one worships other gods, it is harlotry against the true God. Both are occurring, as can be seen from the context of this passage. What certainly happened is that the enticements of the women of Moab, in a physical manner, led the men to also succumb to the spiritual harlotry against the Lord. This is a pattern which any and all need to be aware of. The natural will lead to the spiritual. It is found, for example, in the great King Solomon many years later. Here's what it says from 1 Kings 11. But... Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall certainly not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love, and he had 700 wives 
princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord, as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. For Israel, they were first enticed, verse 1 continues, with the women of Moab. Elbanot Moab, with the daughters of Moab. Here we have a great source of falling away from God. Balaam was unsuccessful in his attempts to curse Israel. Instead, his words blessed them. He had subsequently advised Moab that the only way they were going to overcome Israel would be through seduction. This is certain based on the words of Numbers 31 and elsewhere, where it is noted that Balaam was killed along with the Midianites for recommending this course of action. By enticing the men with women, they were able to draw them away from their allegiances. This same pattern is seen throughout history in espionage rings, which set honey traps for unsuspecting fools. For Israel, verse 2, they invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods. The carnal led directly to the spiritual. This was warned against by the Lord way back in Exodus 34. Here's what he said. Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, lest it be a snare in your midst. But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images, for you shall worship no other god. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they, here it is, play the harlot with their gods and make sacrifice to their gods. And one of them invites you, and you eat of his sacrifice, and you take of his daughters for your sons, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods, and you make your sons play the harlot with their gods. He told them that when they were in, to come into Canaan, they were to be watchful and not fall into such temptation. They're not even in the land yet, and it has happened. They failed to heed. Verse 2 continues, And the people ate and bowed down to their gods. Exactly as the Lord had said would occur with those in Canaan has come about even before entering it. It specifically notes that the people ate. The reason for this inclusion is twofold. First, when a sacrifice is made to a god, it is customary to participate in the eating of that sacrifice. Thus one joins himself to that god. But secondly, it is to be remembered that Israel had the manna each morning. They had complained against that on several occasions. But the manna pictures Christ's sustaining influence. They found Christ tasteless and insufficient, and so they went after other gods. What started with sexual enticement took the people in a completely unholy direction. Through sexual enticement, the hearts of the people were drawn into spiritual harlotry. Does anyone here in this church think that they're immune from this? You all need to watch and pay heed. Verse 3, so Israel was joined to Baal of Peor. In the previous verse, the word gods was used twice. It is the standard word for God, which is Elohim. The plural here stands for the singular. Israel joined himself to Baal of Peor, which is believed to be a different name for their god, Chemosh, the god of war. The word Baal simply means master or lord. 
and it can be used to speak of a person or even the Lord himself. But in the context, it is referring to the Lord of Peor. Peor comes from the verb pa'ar, meaning to open wide. Thus, it means the opening. Abarim says of this word, it's used to apply to the mouth, but suggests to allude to other bodily cavities. This verb yields no nouns, which suggests that it describes doings out of a kind of hunger or desire rather than merely the mechanics of opening. In that sense, it means to desire, to yearn, and obviously also to lust. The name fits the account. The people are drawn to the master of lusts. Also in this verse, the word samad, or joined, is introduced. It is a rare word, and three of its five uses will be in connection with this occurrence right now. It signifies to join or fasten. Israel had bound itself to a false god coming under its yoke and rule through this event. And because of this, verse 3 continues, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Do you think? and burned the nostril of Jehovah in Israel. As has happened before, the anger of the Lord was so hot, it was as if flames shot out of his nostril. There could be no excuse for what occurred and no leniency upon the offenders. What is implied here is that the plague, which will be mentioned later, began immediately because of the anger of the Lord. The only way to stop what had begun would be to take the actions next directed by the Lord. This is the same in thought then that was seen way back in number 16, verse 46. So Moses said to Aaron, take a censer and put fire in it from the altar, put incense on it and take it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. The necessary remedial action is next described. Verse four, then the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord. Though debated, this probably doesn't mean that the leaders would be hung, but that the leaders would be those to testify to the names of the people below them who had gone astray. From there, the leaders would execute punishment upon them. What occurs here is actually rather hard to determine. The word is yaka, and it has only been used so far to describe Jacob's thigh, which was dislocated. Okay, the word means to alienate or dislocate. Thus, translations will say hang, because when you hang somebody, you dislocate their neck. <laughs> However, the next verse leads to the thought that they were first executed and then hung. Either way, the thought is that they will be publicly and openly exposed, just as they had publicly and openly disgraced the name of the Lord through their actions. In saying, Le Yehovah, or for the Lord, the idea is that their being exposed was a way of appeasing his wrath. Verse 4 continues, out in the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. The Hebrew reads, Neged Ha Shemesh, or against the sun. The idea is that they would be on display in the open sun, and then their bodies would be taken down at the setting of the sun. Their being exposed was to humiliate them for their actions, just as their actions had humiliated the Lord's name among the people. Verse 5, so Moses said to the judges of Israel, every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. In the last verse, the rashe or heads, were mentioned. Here, the shofete, or judges, are mentioned. They are probably the same people first designated by their status and now by their function. As heads of the people, they were to be judges of their actions. And more, they were then to be the executioners of the offenders. 
Anyone who had transgressed and joined to the Baal of Peor was to be called out, judged, and executed. Verse 6, And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman. It is certain that the anger of the Lord and the plague upon the people had begun. Further, the command to execute the offenders has been given. But this person was probably unaware of it and was simply on his way to enjoy himself. The Hebrew says, the Midianite woman, not a Midianite woman. She is singled out here first because of her status, which will be explained later, and which means this event was not by chance, but rather it was planned. Secondly, it is seen that the Midianites are actually the force behind what is occurring, even though they are first mentioned right here. And thirdly, calling her the Midianite sets her apart for all future references to this event in the memory of Israel. Verse 6 continues, In the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, the transgression of this person is aggravated by the fact that this individual not only brought a foreign woman into the camp, but he brought her directly before the tent of meeting. Moses' tent was stationed directly east of the sanctuary. This is a willful act of defiance against the Lord, against Moses, and in a spiteful jab at the people who were gathered at the tent of meeting to mourn the events which had taken place, including the plague of the Lord's anger. With the authorization of the Lord for action to be taken already given, a hero arises to do just that. Verse 7, Now when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand. The name Phinehas, or Phinehas, comes from the words mouth and brass, or mouth and serpent. It can be either one. Thus the name means mouth of brass, meaning Mouth of judgment, because brass signifies judgment, or mouth of a serpent. It is apparent that he was one of the congregation weeping at the tent of meeting. He was distraught by the events which had occurred, and at the anger of the Lord which had arisen because of the actions of the people. In his anger, he got up and grabbed a romach, or a javelin. This is a new word which comes from an unused root, meaning to hurl. Thus, it is a weapon like a spear or a javelin that one would hurl at an enemy. Verse 8, And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman, through her body. Here is a word found only here in Scripture, hakuva, or the tent. It signifies an arched area. It is the inner or rear part of the tent where privacy would be sought. The privacy they sought was ended with the coming of Phineas. The context clearly implies that the two were one above the other and thus in the act of having sex. In his anger at the events, Phineas took the javelin and he plunged it right through both of them. And this is another word found only here in the Bible, kova or belly. Both words kuva or tent and kova or belly are derived from the word kavav or curse, which was used eight times in the Balaam passages and nowhere else in scripture. That word signifies to scoop out. Thus, it almost appears as if the words are selected to show a connection to the attempted curses of Balaam on Israel and to what occurs here. Regardless of that, the action of Phineas was enough to satisfy the Lord that the honor of his name had been defended. Verse 8 continues, so the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. Just as in number 16, when Aaron went among the congregation with the incense to atone for the sins of the people, thus stopping the plague, 
So the actions of Phineas also stopped the plague. The Lord looked on his deeds with approval and relented from any further slaughter of the people. But by then, many had died. Verse 9, and those who died in the plague were 24,000. Here's an interesting dilemma between the Old and New Testaments, which liberals will often use to say that the Bible has contradictions in it. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 8, Paul says, Nor let us commit sexual immorality, as some of them did, and in one day 23,000 fell. The Old says 24,000, while Paul says 23,000. However, Paul does say in one day. So 23 could have died on one day and 1,000 on the next. What appears to be the case is that 1,000 died separately from the others. This would then be those tried and executed by Moses, which would be in addition to the 23,000 who died in the plague. As always, there is an individual punishment for offense, and there is a collective punishment as well. There's no reason to assume that there is any contradiction between what Paul wrote and what is recorded in the book of Numbers. Lord God, wickedness is everywhere, and it tears me up. If I could, I would end it all now. I would give the wicked their overflowing cup, and I would put it all to an end, for sure, somehow. But I am not in the judgment seat, and I can only do what I can do. And so I speak of Jesus, my Lord, so sweet. Look on my heart, O God, my intentions are true. Reward me according to my righteousness. Reward me according to the cleanness of my hands. Though this world is in a dreadful mess, you are the one who sees my heart, and in seeing understands. Our second thought today is harass the Midianites. It's verses 10 through 18. Verse 10, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, with these words, a new section is introduced, even though it bears directly on what has just been recorded. Verse 11, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous with my zeal among them so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Again, as in verse 7, the lineage of Phineas is given. This is to show that he was of the priests and one who bore authority. It is how he has used that authority which is commendable. At other times in Scripture, such people in authority will act in a vastly different manner. Here the Lord speaks of his chema, or wrath. The word was used in Leviticus to describe the fury of the Lord when Israel disobeys. Even though they have not yet entered into the land of Israel, they have now already partaken of that fury through their vile conduct. However, his fury was stayed by the zeal of Phineas. The word here signifies jealousy. It has been seen so far seven times in Numbers chapter 5 concerning the jealousy of a husband in regards to his possibly unfaithful wife. Do you remember that? The waters of bitterness? There you go. The Lord is treating Israel as his bride in a covenant relationship. When she strays, his jealousy is aroused. But because of Phineas's jealousy for the sake of the Lord, he has accepted his actions as an atoning offering and the relationship is restored. And verse 12, therefore, say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace. The covenant of the Lord's peace signifies divine favor and protection. It does not mean that all will be well at all times, but that the Lord will never forget and that peace between the two shall never end. This is alluded to between the Lord and the people in Isaiah 54, where the term covenant of my peace is used. 
Paul uses that passage from the book of Isaiah and he equates it to the church in Galatians chapter 4. Phineas is used here as a type of Christ who is zealous for the name and honor of the Lord. Thus, the covenant of peace anticipates the greater covenant to come in Christ. This verse right here kind of dispels hyper-dispensationalism by saying that the Jews and the church are separate. They're not. They're one unit. Verse 13, And it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood. This needs to be taken in its proper light. The word here is olam. It comes from a word which signifies to conceal. Thus it speaks of time out of mind. It can mean forever, but the Mosaic covenant is not a forever covenant. It was a covenant which anticipated a new covenant. Thus, the priesthood of Phineas would last until it was superseded by the greater priesthood of Christ. The line of Phineas continued on until the coming of Christ with only one short interruption, which went from the time of Eli until the time of David. The promise of this enduring priesthood was fulfilled by the Lord as spoken here. Verse 13 going on, because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. The words here look to the greater work of Christ in two ways. First, the zeal of Christ was seen in his defense of the Lord and the temple in John chapter 2, where he cleared the temple which had been defiled by the people. Secondly, Christ is the one who made the full and final atonement for the children of Israel. Phineas's actions atoned for Israel so that the plague of wrath was stopped. But Christ's cross atoned for Israel and indeed all of the world so that the plague of death is forever ceased in him. Verse 14, now the name of the Israelite who was killed, who was killed with the Midianite woman was Zimri, the son of Salu, a leader of the father's house among the Simeonites. The name Zimri probably deals with music and thus it would be my musician, my praise, my song, or even song of the Lord. He is specifically noted as leader of his father's house, and thus he was all the more responsible for his actions. But not only that, this shows the bravery of Phineas's action, because Zimri's status would mean that there would be many who could claim the status of avenger of blood and thus come against Phineas. It is certainly only through the Lord's strong approval of his actions that this did not come about. It appears from Numbers 26 that the main group of those who died in this plague were from the tribe of Simeon. During the second census of the people, which is recorded there, Simeon is the tribe with the smallest total number. As they were to the very far south of the encampment, they were probably closest to the town which seduced Israel through the Baal of Peor. Further, noting his position shows that Phineas did not regard the position of Zimri at all, but rather the actions of the man. In his failure to meet the call to his office and the honor of the Lord, he forfeited his life. Verse 15, And the name of the Midianite woman who was killed was Cosby, the daughter of Zur. He was head of the people of a father's house in Midian. The name Cosby comes from the word kazav, meaning to lie or to be a liar. Thus, her name means either lying or my lie. Her father's name is Tsur. It means rock. He is said to have been a head of the people of a father's house in Midian, just as Zimri was in Simeon. He is named as one of the five kings of Midian in Numbers 31, which means he's going to get whacked because they whacked those five kings. <laughs> the arrangement appears to be purposeful as an attempt to subvert the people's authority through such arrangements. Verse 16, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, once again, a new thought is introduced. 
each step, the narrative is slowly unfolding to lead to a climax in the events. The words here come later in the chronology of events, and they are directly connected to chapter 31, where the command now is to be stated is actually carried out. And for that command, Moses is told to, verse 17, harass the Midianites and attack them. Soror et ha Midianim, treat like enemies the Midianites. From this, it appears that Midian was behind the seduction of Israel, even if it was in Moabite territory. It was seen at the beginning of the Balaam passage that it is probable that Midian ruled over Moab at this time. That seems to be borne out by the command now. The Lord tells Moses that they are to treat Midian as enemies and to attack them. This will be carried out in chapter 31. In this attack, the righteous anger of Phineas is to be transferred to the entire nation. They are being instructed to learn to detest what God hates and to destroy that which God has determined is to be destroyed. Phineas has set the example, and the people are to learn from it, and they are to follow suit. Verse 18, for they harassed you. The same word from the previous verse is used again. Treat them as enemies because they treated you as enemies. There was no enmity between the two until Midian determined to subvert the people's devotion to the Lord and pull them away from him. Verse 18 continues, with their schemes by which they seduced you. Here the same word in noun and verb form is used. In essence, it says, with the beguilings by which they beguiled you. They came to Israel with a set purpose and intention. It was to draw the people away from the Lord, which was, verse 18 continues, in the matter of Peor and in the matter of Cosby. There is an emphasis in these words. The matter of Peor was exacerbated by the matter of Cosby. The foes had attempted to seduce Israel through their leadership and by their leadership. This was because Cosby was, verse 18 continues, the daughter of a leader of Midian, their sister. The focus is on Cosby and her position within the community. She was both the daughter of one of their leaders, elevating the matter, and she was also their sister, meaning that it was a commonly known matter. It could not be that it was a secretly conducted affair, but one which was planned all the way at the very top, and it was known by all. Verse 18 finishes with, who was killed in the day of the plague because of Peor. The inclusion of these words, the substance of which is already known, is certainly to indicate that as she was killed, so are all of Midian to be killed. In other words, what is said here is given to justify what will be recorded in chapter 31. And they need justification because people in the modern world, their sensibilities get destroyed by passages like I'm going to read you. And Moses said to them, have you kept all the women alive? Look, these women caused the children of Israel through the council of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Now, therefore, kill every male among the little ones, that means all of them, and kill every woman who has known a man intimately. But keep alive for yourselves all the young girls who had not known a man intimately. Cosby's actions were known and condoned by the leadership and the people. Therefore, their attitude was approving of what she did, and it was a part of their moral makeup. For them, destruction was the only remedy. I have a zeal for you in my heart, O God. It consumes me through the day and into the night. It burns in me with every step I trod. 
I wish to honor your name, your power, and your might. When I see the wicked, I am distressed indeed, and I loathe what they do. They mock your glory. They follow hard after their father. They are Satan's seed. It is a sad, maddening truth to life's story. But some I can tell about Jesus and his cross, and some will turn away and mock your glory still. For those who listen, there will be gain, not loss, but for the others may be done in them, O oh God, your will. Our third thought today is Phineas. What we have here is a picture of the battle of God's people, which they have faced, and Christ's victory over it. Man is caught in the trap of the devil's lies. He's stuck in a system of works-based righteousness. Israel, God's people, are said to be in shittim, meaning scourges. The root of that word, shotet, is used only once in the Bible. In Joshua 23, verse 13, it said, Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps to you, and scourges, that word, shotet, on your sides, and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. The people of Canaan are equated to scourges who would afflict Israel. Thus, the scourges are that which draw the people away from faith in the Lord and to that which is false. In this place of scourges, the people are beguiled and drawn away from the Lord through the beguilings of Midian, meaning place of judgment. But in this place of scourges, along comes a hero, Phineas, or mouth of judgment. He is the son of Eleazar, or whom God helps. He pictures Christ, who bears the mouth of judgment. He entered into the very spot where man is harassed and beguiled. In order to restore God's people to him, Phineas went into the tent and pierced Zimri and Cosby through the belly. The words kuva or tent, and kova or belly, are both derived from kavav meaning a curse. Here, Phineas pictures Christ entering the kuva, or the place of the curse, meaning our world where death reigns. He destroys the curse pictured by piercing the kuva, the belly, the curse, with the spear. He is victorious over the curse, and the plague of death upon the people is stopped. Cosby, or liar, pictures the lies of the devil. He is called the father of lies by Jesus. She is the daughter of Sur, or rock, Sur represents the rock of works-based righteousness, who is contrasted to the true Sur or rock, which is faith of Abraham. That is seen in Isaiah 51, verse 1. Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock, the Sur, from which you were hewn, and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father. And to Sarah who bore you, for I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. The man Zimri, or my song, or my praise, is man who is drawn away from the Lord, enticed by the lies of the devil into works-based righteousness. The song here is emblematic of following one's own course or song and uniting with the lie. This is what is destroyed by Christ, represented by the actions of Phineas. In his act, Phineas is granted a covenant of peace with the Lord and an everlasting priesthood, just as Christ was granted through his work. As it says in Hebrews 5 when speaking of Christ, so also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. This, in short, is the pictorial meaning of the passage we have before us today. Christ is the victor over the devil through his noble actions. 
From there, we can also see in this passage what it means to be people of faith who live out lives of faith and how that relates to our deeds before the Lord. In our text verse, it was said of what Phineas did that it was accounted to him for righteousness. Remember that from Psalm 106? These are the same words and it is the same sediment that was spoken of Abraham and what Paul uses as his declaration of justification by faith alone. And more, the exact same words in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which speak of Phineas in Psalm 106, are spoken of Abraham in James 2.24, where James then says, a man is justified by works and not by faith only. The question is, why would the Lord inspire James to use a passage from Abraham many years after he had been declared righteous instead of just citing this account concerning Phineas, whose deeds coincided with his declaration? It's a good question. Does anybody want to come up and answer it? The answer is that Phineas's deeds did not justify him. That's right. His zeal for the Lord did. The Lord looks at intent as action complete. If I have it in my mind to commit adultery, guess what Jesus says about that? My intent has caused me to sin. That is why there is a tenth commandment which requires no action at all. Coveting is intent. If Phineas had jumped up and grabbed the spear and then was restrained by someone, say Moses said, hey, don't do that, it would make no difference in God's eyes. His intent was to defend the zeal of the Lord. He simply had nothing to obstruct his following through with that intent. It was God's intent from the foundation of the world that Christ would go to the cross of Calvary. That is stated explicitly in Revelation 13, verse 8. The difference between the Lord's will and ours is that ours doesn't always get carried through to its fulfillment. We may not commit adultery actually, but we do so when we lust after another in our hearts. We may not be able to defend the Lord's honor in some manner, but our intent to do so is seen and it is known. Phineas may not have been able to carry through with this intent, but his zeal showed that he would have. These things do not mean that if we say we intended to do something, that we are credited for that action. Rather, the intent has to be real and in our hearts where God will read it. We cannot pay lip service to God with our hearts. He reads every motive behind every action, intended or completed. Phineas may be the person most emblematic of the Lord above every other person in the Bible simply because every single thing said about him in this passage reflects Christ. Phineas, or mouth of judgment, rose from the congregation, as did Christ, whose mouth speaks judgment. He had a zeal for the honor of the Lord, as did Christ. He had a desire to defend that honor, as did Christ. And he was able to follow through with that in action, as was Christ. In doing so, it says he provided atonement for the children of Israel, as did Christ. In turn, he was promised a covenant of an everlasting priesthood, as was Christ. In saying that Christ defended the honor of the Lord, it means that he did for the people what they could not do. In the incident here, many people were executed. The executioners were told what to do, and they did it. There was no righteousness imputed to them for what they did. They simply obeyed and acted. Phineas, however, did what he did for the Lord's name, not out of command. Likewise, Christ voluntarily gave himself. As it says in the book of Jonah, salvation is of the Lord. 
Jesus, or Yeshua, is salvation, and he is of the Lord. The Lord himself worked out salvation, defending his honor, because it is not by works, but by faith that one is saved. Phineas's actions did not save him. His faith in and zeal for the Lord did. His desire was simply worked out in action. Let's get this right so that we understand what James is saying and what we are to learn from Phineas. James says, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. What is he talking about? He's talking about intent. Faith is what saves. If we don't have faithful intent in our action, our faith is dead. Likewise, when he says that a man is justified by works and not by faith only, how do you explain that to a paraplegic who loves Christ and yet he can't do anything at all for him? You tell him that his intent, his heart, is what God is evaluating. In the end, our salvation is solely and entirely of grace through faith, and our rewards will be given to us or taken from us based on our true and heartfelt intent, even if we do not or cannot act on our intent. When we lust after another, rewards will be lost. When we honestly desire to do but cannot, rewards will be gained. And when we desire to do and we are able to do, it will be commendable indeed. When we cannot follow through, it does not mean that we are being unchristlike. It simply means that we have been inhibited by God from being able to do that thing that we desire to do for him because he has another plan in store for us. Christ went through with his mission because he was preordained to do so. When God says, I will do, it is done. We are not always in such a position, but he already knows that. David desired to build a temple for the Lord his God. But Solomon explains how that went. Now it was in the heart of my father, David, to build a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. He wanted to do it. Do you think the Lord rewarded him for that intent? Of course he did. But the Lord said to my father, David, whereas it was in your heart, the Lord reading the heart, to build a temple for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Did David build that temple? No. But it was in his heart, and the Lord read it as intent. He will receive his reward. Let us be like these heroes of faith and be like Christ in the process, because they were like Christ. God will look upon your heart and know if you are truly sincere in your desire or if you're just blowing smoke. So don't blow smoke. Live for Christ, pursue Christ, and honor Christ with all your heart and in all your actions when you can to the glory of God. Jesus Christ came and he took away the sin debt that we owe and we have a responsibility first to accept that, to accept the premise that Jesus Christ died for our sins, he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to scripture. And if you believe that, if you believe that in your heart, because God reads the hearts, if you believe that you will be saved, he says, that is it, it is done. And then after that, every single thing that you are doing in this life, everything is being read by God, good or bad, from your heart. Your actions may or may not reflect your heart, but the Lord knows what your heart is doing. And so I would ask you first to call on Jesus Christ and to be saved. Man, these heroes of the Old Testament keep pointing to Christ and what he did. He went out, he had a zeal for the Lord, he grabbed a spear, he stabbed through two people. Guess what? Jesus, he's just reflecting Jesus with everything he did. Everything about him. He brought atonement for the people of Israel. 
Well, it's supposed to be a lamb down at the sanctuary, isn't it? No, it's Phineas' action because he's reflecting Christ. The plague was stopped from Phineas. The plague of death upon man was stopped from Christ. Be like Christ in your intent in all things. And if you can do those things, do them. Like I said, don't just blow smoke. God knows your intent. If you want to do, I know people that want to go overseas and be missionaries and they have been inhibited. I know one girl that went overseas. She was there in Papua New Guinea. She loved little insects. And so she wanted to go to the insect place of the world. And while she was there being a missionary, she would get insects. Well, guess what happened? She got malaria. Okay. No problem. She got over it. She got malaria a second time. Her body could not handle it. And a couple months after going there, wanting to give her whole life to Christ in Papua New Guinea, she ended up back here in America. But God read her intent and he knew her heart. Right? There are people that wanted, I wanted to go overseas and be a Bible translator with Wycliffe. I couldn't do it. My wife changed her mind before we went, and he gave her to me before he gave me that desire, so obviously he's got something else for me. Then here I am sitting in front of you, ugly as ever. Right? <laughs> intent. Let your intent be followed by action when you can, but if not, the Lord will read it. Okay? That's the lesson that we're to get from today's sermon. All right, we've got a closing verse here for you from Romans chapter 4, 5 through 8. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. And he quotes there, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Well, guess what? In the Old Testament, if you sinned, God was going to impute it to you. How can it be that David could write those words? How could David do that? Because David knew what the people in Israel failed to discern, that God is reading the hearts of the people. He knew that. And so he said something that was contrary to what you would expect under the law of Moses. And Paul picked up on that, and he quoted it in the New Testament, showing that we are not imputed sin when we have faith in Jesus Christ. If you don't believe me, go read 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19, okay? Next week is Numbers 26, 1 through 51. This is a lot of verses, folks. I'm going to tell you that right now. This is a lot of verses. Numbers 26, 1 through 51. We're going to keep counting until the thing is done. It's entitled The Second Census. Part 1. That'll be your 50th <laughs> Numbers sermon, okay? The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It may seem at times as if you're lost in the desert, wandering aimlessly, but the Lord is there. He's carefully leading you to the land of promise. And so follow him and trust him, and he'll do marvelous things for you and through you, okay? Now, I've got a really difficult question for you today. I don't expect anybody to get it, but if you do, you're really going to impress me. I'll tempt you, though. I told you all a couple minutes ago not to just go blow smoke, Okay. In the Bible, smoke can be a good thing or it can be a bad thing based on the context. Can you quote a verse where smoke is offensive to the senses? To the senses. To the senses. Lots of smoke verses in the Bible. But there's a couple. Well, no, they died by taking improper incense before them. But I'll take you to the first one that I wrote down in Proverbs chapter 10, verses 
1026, uh, it says, hang on, yeah. I know, Proverbs is a tough book for me to read. It just is. I'm still in the Psalms. i got to get back to Proverbs. Hang on a second here. Proverbs. That's it. That's exactly it. All right. Hang on. 1026 says, as vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the lazy man to those who send them. Very good. She got that. And the other one is from Isaiah 65. Right at the end of the book of Isaiah, he says this. Isaiah 65 and verse 5. Who say, keep to yourself, do not come near me, for I am holier than you. These are smoke in my nostrils, a fire that burns all the day. That's how the Lord feels about people like that. So there you go. She gets a Maserati for the week. All right, here we go. I got a poem for you and we'll be done. It's called The Zeal of Phineas. Now you know what I mean when I say the zeal of Phineas. It's intent. He has an intent. Now Israel remained in Acacia Grove there and then, and the people began to commit harlotry with Moab's women. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods for a spell. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take all the leaders of the people and hang the offenders before the Lord out in the sun, that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel, and you be restored. So Moses said to the judges of Israel, For sure, every one of you kill his men who were joined to Baal of Peor. And indeed, one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a despicable greeting. A Midianite woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand for some violence to commit. And he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through. So the word does tell the man of Israel and the woman through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. And those who died in the plague that day were 24,000. Yes, 24,000 passed away. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying these words to him. He was relaying. Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous with my zeal among them so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal as well. Therefore say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace. Let it be understood. Then it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood. Because he was zealous for his God, yes, he did well, and made atonement for the children of Israel. Now the name of the Israelite who was killed, who was killed with the woman of the Midianites, was Zimri, the son of Salu, a leader of a father's house among the Simeonites. And the name of the Midianite woman who was killed was Cosby, the son of Zur. He was head of the people of a father's house in Midian, but he didn't get to see his daughter anymore, for sure. <laughs> then the Lord said to Moses, saying, these words to him he was relaying, harass the Midianites and attack them, for they harassed you with their schemes, by which they seduced you in the matter of Peor and in the matter of Cosby. Bad news for them, so it seems. The daughter of a leader of Midian, who got ran through there on the floor, their sister was killed in the day of the plague because of Peor. Lord God, we are even now in a wilderness and we are wanting to be led by you. Without you to direct our lives would be a mess. So be our guide, O God, you who are faithful and true. We long for the water in this barren land. May it flow forth from the rock, our souls to satisfy. 
Give us this refreshing spiritual hand and may we take it into our lives daily. It apply and we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful lesson found in the book of Numbers. We just keep coming up with treasure and treasure in this book that so many people don't even want to read. Or if they read it once, they read it really quickly and say, yeah, I did that. Lord, there's so much treasure in your word. Word after word after word just gives us insights into what you're doing and what you're trying to show us in the greater work coming in Jesus. And then he came and he accomplished that work. And we can look back and we can see these things and we can be absolutely sure that our faith in him is not misdirected, but it is strong. It is, it is enough to get us into your presence and to keep us there for all of eternity. Thank you for what Jesus did. And Lord, you heard the people's names and the things that we brought up at the beginning of this service. And we would pray that you would respond to them accordingly and that you would be with those people and grant healing or grant the jobs or all of the other things that we mentioned, Lord, be with them. And next week when Joel and Missy are here, we pray that people will be willing to help them out with their ministry, which is something really important to the unreached peoples of the world. We applaud them for what they've done and we thank you for having given them their mission their field in which they can work. And Lord, we love you, we praise you, and we exalt you because of all you've done in our lives. And we do this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we have uh, communion coming, but I thought that I'd uh, tell you something now that we've done the sermon before we go to communion, is that Sergio was driving, he was up in Atlanta going on vacation somewhere, and uh, he was out in a country road and he took a picture and he sent it to me. And as soon as I saw it, I broke down and laughed. I couldn't believe it. And I don't know how many people caught this, but it had a picture of a sign that said, Baal of Peor Church. Oh, <laughs> no. Can you imagine that? Yeah. Or the Church of Peor or something. Baptist. Uh, it was Peor Baptist Church. That's what it was. Peor Baptist Church. And I thought, who in their right mind would call their church Peor? Can you imagine that was not very well thought through? Anyway, there you go. What's that? Yeah, whatever it was, it certainly wasn't normal thinking. That's a fact. Anyway, here we go. Anyway, think things through before you decide on the name, folks. Oh, my goodness. So I noticed Phineas was not deemed a murderer. No, apparently not. Huh. Isn't that odd? Yeah. How, did, how does that happen? Yeah. Crazy, isn't it? 